Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 162, March Gamer Madness, final round. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. So Anthony, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the insanity is wrapping up a little bit. March Gamer Madness is coming down to its final round. I gotta say, I'm a little sad. I'm gonna miss it when it goes. I know. I mean, it's March is almost over, so yeah. Although you wouldn't know it from the foot of snow outside. <laughs> That's why it's March madness. Drive us crazy, madness. No snow days at the end of March. Come on, come on. I need my kids in school. Weather rant over. <laughs> Makes sense. It's like the first day of spring, so the next day it's a foot of snow. So that's 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 what they say, right? The groundhog yeah. saw his shadow, and then uh, four more shadows. I'm not really sure what. You... <laughs> Nonetheless, we are here with you another brand new episode. We are talking about March Gamer Madness for our feature review. We're going to wrap it up, talk about which components and which games make them just totally pop and make them outstanding games and deserving of the title of March Gamer Madness for components. But before we get into all that fun, Anthony, what is everybody else saying out there in the universe that's not covered by Three Feet of Snow? <laughs> yeah, these are, um, and, and if they are covered in Three Feet of Snow... Um, they'll have time to set up and break down these games because I asked what games suffer the most from the long setup and breakdown time. So basically, the antithesis of what we're doing this month, which games as components get in the way? <laughs> so like anytime I ask a question like this where I'm like, what sucks? I get like 40 responses. So uh, people have a lot to say when there's a bad thing out there. So I'll just pick off a few of these. But a couple that I found pretty funny. Uh, Jason mentioned this. I think a couple of other people mentioned it as well. And of course, it's true. But I think they're being smart ass. Um, is Mousetrap, right? There you like, go. Really, any of those old 70s and 80s games, they kind of, you know, they by definition collapse when you play them. <laughs> yeah. Willie mentioned Marvel Legendary, and I think at least four other people mentioned Marvel Legendary. So, yeah, plus he, one here too, because that game took forever and really brought the game down a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the few reasons why if somebody pulls it out and like you want to play this, and I'm not a huge fan, but I'm like I don't want to sit there for half an hour while you're sorting cards. All right, we have one vote here for Gloomhaven, which I think is I agree. Gloomhaven takes a very long time to set up and put away, but that's kind of the nature of the beast with that one. Sean mentioned Axis and Allies, and from what I remember of that, uh, yep, <laughs> definitely the case. We have votes for Zombicide. Uh, really, honestly, I think anytime you have dudes on a map, it's going to be like that. A few people mentioned Heroescape. Benjamin mentioned Heroescape. Uh, Jeremy mentioned Heroescape. And yeah, you got to basically build out the map. So that's going to take a little bit of time. Vinny mentioned Firefly. Uh, we have Tom mentioned Eldritch Horror. And then we also have Mansions of Madness 1.0, which was so bad that they made a 2.0 <laughs> specifically to fix that problem. Eclipse, Game of Thrones, Battlestar Galactica. I think the common theme here is 
either it's a deck builder with too many cards or it is a big old Ameritrash game with 700 bits. I would say for me, I, I guess the one that's really taking the longest to kind of put together would probably be Arcadia Quest. And probably simply because trying to figure out what little team you're going to put together in the beginning takes the most amount of time because it's a campaign game. So you that team build up at the start and then getting all those great NPC characters out on the board takes a long time. And then checking with the book to see what's available and the special cards that go along with that. It just takes a lot, a lot of time. And that definitely walks into those situations where you really want to have one of those game tables because once you set it up, you never want to touch it again. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like there's another one, like a couple of you mentioned Anachrony, which is what I was going to mention. Oh, sure. Um, games like that, the Euros or Eclipse is another one. Like the Fiddle Euros with 800 bits. Brewcrafters is another one. If you have the organizers, it severely cuts down on that time. Sure. That's something you can't necessarily say for, you know, like a Dudes on a Map, like an Arcadia Quest or, you know, a, a, one of these big Ameritrash games because those by definition are fiddly and you have to set them up. Now, there's other games like War of the Ring, which takes 45 minutes to set up, and I don't mind. <laughs> sure. Uh, but you only play that a couple times a year, so it's fine. Now, the longest one that I heard about that I didn't play myself was Arkwright. Yes. Oh, I forgot about Arkwright. That thing's a mess. <laughs> like... Yeah, I remember people saying, do not buy this game without the wooden insert because setting up all those little pawns takes practically forever to do. Yeah, there's something like 100 of them, and they're tiny, and they fall over a bunch. The Meeple Realty insert, though, it basically you put all the pawns in it, and then when you put it down on the board, you can release it, and they're just ready to go. <laughs> it's genius, and it was actually the first insert I saw that where I was like, oh, Meeple Realty, that's a company to watch. Sure. Now they obviously do all sorts of stuff. I have that game. I have not brought it out since I played it the first time because the setup was pretty long. Yeah, that's a shame. I know. I, it's like, like you said, like a little pin setup in bowling where you just drop everything down and... You could pick it up the same way. So that's why people put out so much money for those inserts, just to make the game time possible. So if you want to jump in on all of this action that's happening and all the extensive setup that's happening, jump on our Facebook account because these question of the weeks happen every day there, not to mention Twitter. And you can also find all of our social media contacts on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Don't forget, we got a Patreon account which allows our backers to support us and direct our content in the future, a YouTube channel, and a guild on Board Game Geek. A lot of great ways to get in contact with us. So when you're being buried by four feet of snow or 400 feet of snow or 4,000 little minis that you're trying to set up for the next upcoming game, reach out to us so that we can kind of help you along in that fun process. But let's get on to the game. So Anthony, let's talk about our acquisition disorders. What do you have up for us? All righty. This one is courtesy of you. Uh, you, you pointed it out to me last week. I did um, a thing. You, yeah, you did a thing. <laughs> it's, it's your fault. Um, all right, so this one's on Kickstarter right now. It's called Monumental. It's uh, it's up by Funforge, and it is this is what they call it: Epic it? Miniatures Board Game of Civilization, Conquest, and Expansion. Which I guess sounds like everything else, but I I think the point of it is it's a 4x civilization game, but with all the crazy, unnecessary, ridiculous miniatures you get in all these other games. So. It's a deck building based with like a hex shaped tile map, you know, similar to several other of these games that are out there right now and heavily miniatures based. I think there are a hundred soldiers. So there's five different factions out of the box. Each of them has a city, a warlord and 20 soldiers plus 
couple dozen coins, um, all the cards, all the terrain tiles. So a decent amount of stuff in the box. And that would be fine. You know, it's, it's a good amount of content. But then they're like, oh, you know what? We also have uh, five more civilizations that you might be interested in. Guess what all this costs together? $270. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. This is one of those. uh, And I think you pointed out this out to me as being like, can you believe this? And I was like, oh, yeah, this actually looks kind of (laughs) cool. It does. (laughs) Um, The artwork on the cards is really, really nice. The miniatures are fantastic. The the hero like warlord miniatures are huge. Mm -hmm. My copy of Lords of Hellas should be here tomorrow. Snow, snow, uh, you know granting the ability of the ups truck to drive and that has these big huge kind of greek and roman style monuments so does this guess why i'm interested (laughs) so sure um these do look really nice uh the only thing that puts gives me pause well there's two things that give me pause one 270 and two is i think the delivery time is like april of next year and it's fun forge and while they've always delivered on their stuff some of it's been decently late and had issues. So like the Takedo stuff got to everybody, but I know there were some issues along the way. So I don't know. It's really, really cool to look at. It is Kickstarter exclusive, which I know is happening a lot lately. And I'm not a huge fan because it takes away any kind of, you know, back out you can do like, oh, I'll wait and see what a friend plays. Oh, they maybe they'll reprint it. They're never going to reprint this, you know. So you either buy it or you don't. And even the base level pledge is 117, which is just kind of crazy. So I probably won't back this, especially with the Batman pledge finishing up soon. Sure. But I wanted to mention it for all the people out there who are not backing Batman and like all this stuff as much as I do and maybe are interested. It, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, the big challenge with this one is, is all the different races that you can pick up in their full pledge. But at the same time, if you look at it, it's all the generic miniatures, as far as the armed force is concerned, their base and their leader. The base and the leader are different. Obviously, the army is all one type. And there's just so many different races, which is fantastic. And as I gain more and more, I, I'm kind of challenged because I'm a completionist. But at the same time, I wonder if I'm ever going to get, I don't know how many we're dealing with here, but let's just say eight different races to the table at some point. Because it's just, there's so much variety here, which is wonderful, and you always want it all. But the price, and if you actually get it played, is is a much, much different story. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. And it's it's not a new designer. It's not like a random developer you've never heard of. Uh, this designer worked on Elysium, which is a great you know uh, game with a similar theme. Um, also worked on Professor Evil in the Citadel of Time, which is a pretty good little game. So he's done some stuff there's a pedigree there it's not like this could be garbage it's probably fine but sure when you get up there in those price levels are like oh there's only so many kickstarters over a hundred dollars that you can even consider let alone back it's true well let me tell you about another one here since we've been talking <laughs> about uh you know endless number of components we just happen to have two acquisition disorders that have endless numbers of components and especially endless numbers of miniatures i'm talking about pandasaurus's game Dinosaur Island Back from Extinction. Now, I talked about Dinosaur Island a little while back, and I got to play the base game, and in particular, the base game, I guess, Delexified. So it had the amazing coins that were bigger and heavier than they needed to be. The first player marker, that was a slap bracelet, if you do remember those things. And all the different types of dinosaurs that made up your Jurassic 
dinosaur park type of situation. So this game was extremely hard to get into retail and didn't have all the extras with it. And they kind of teased us for a while. And now it's back on Kickstarter. So you can actually pick up Dinosaur Island, which at the time and still to this day, I do recommend as a buy. But in this Kickstarter campaign, you can also get the expansion. Totally Liquid is kind of the SeaWorld addition to Dinosaur Island. So it's going to have all the aquatic dinosaurs from that era. Plus, you can also pick up Dulasaurus Island, which is a two-player version of Dinosaur Island. Now, you can play Dinosaur Island with two players already. The game really nicely handles that. But Dulasaur kind of does what Seven Wonders does as kind of shrinking the game down and making it more dynamic as using cards instead of using all the different boards. So this campaign allows you to back all of the things, especially with all of the extras, which include a ridiculous number of different dinosaurs. And the game still has its pastel color explosion that if it doesn't let, you know make you go blind it's something that you're absolutely going to love because the game is fantastic and it's definitely something everyone should take a look at it's currently funding now and it'll probably be up by the time you listen to this for at least give or take another 30 days yeah this one really hit me because i was you know i've been on the fence about i've played it a couple times now other people's copies um one of them had the deluxified one of them didn't and i was like nah ah such a those metal coins are, I mean, and then the meeple, ah, so <laughs> then this goes up and I'm like, oh, great, a chance to pick it up. And they're like, hey, cool. So you can get the game, but you can also get this expansion in this other game. And I'm like, well, that's a lot of money <laughs> for a game without miniatures in it. I don't know what I'm paying for. I mean, I'm paying for a really good game, but yeah, it's it, it goes on that list with Monumental and a few others of like, sorry, guys, only so much money in one month, you know? Sure. And it really taps on the nostalgia of the time. And if you love dinosaurs, all the different dinosaur pieces that come along with this. So if you get a chance, definitely check this one out. All right, Anthony, let's get on to our At the Table with BGA. So what have you been getting to the table that hopefully hasn't led you to uh, take an enormous amount of time to set up and break down? (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, it does. So Fields of Arl from uh, Uwe Rosenberg. It's a game I've had for a little while now. Uh, it is a two player, one or two player only game. And it is big and sprawling and is everything you'd expect from like a big Uwe Rosenberg worker placement Euro, but it only plays one or two players, which is interesting. And in the game, you are removing peat from your board and building different buildings and breeding animals and building up different types of goods like flax and wheat and pelts and trading those in to get like cloth and linens and all sorts of stuff like that. You are buying different uh, vehicles so you can go on voyages and trips and trade in those goods for food and ultimately trying to get the most points from a combination of different things. It's very quick and relatively intuitive despite all the different stuff on the map on the board um it is one of those sandbox games where you have tons of different options in terms of worker placement but the game is broken down into seasons so you have summer actions and then winter actions you can only take the summer actions in the summer you can only take the winter actions in the winter um, with one exception one player each round can take one action from the other side 
Uh, really, really like this one solo as well, although eventually I'm going to solve it because there's no randomness at all. When that happens, it'll be probably a little less fun. The uh, expansion for this, TN Trade, does a few things. First, probably the most important, it adds a third player. Uh, it gives you all the components you need to play a third player. And, uh, you know, you don't really need anything else. It just kind of opens up the board a little bit and gives you a couple more options that way. The game is probably, if both players know how to play, you could probably play it in 90 minutes, but it's probably like a two, two and a half hour game. So you throw in a third player, you're looking at about three hours, but it does make it possible to get this out to the table. Games like Le Havre, um, I usually only play with three players anyways. It's kind of the sweet spot for that one. And now this one also great at three. So a couple of big, heavy Uwe Rosenberg games options there. And you don't have to play um, with the other expansion stuff if you just play with a third player. That's optional. It's like a module. So that's nice too. The other stuff <clears throat> that the expansion adds is the uh, trade uh, over ships and then the T. So the ships themselves are kind of a new option that allow you to trade different goods. Uh, so you can, you know, you put a good down and really how it works is any point during the game on your turns, you can put goods on your wagons and they are either going to be turned into something when you travel or uh, they will be upgraded later. So almost every tile can flip over, you flip it over, it turns into something better. With the ships, you can actually trade it for something else which is kind of a cool way to kind of manage the game a little bit better. Um, you can also use some of the fishing ships to get free food every round. You can also, there's a lot of different options here now that kind of open up with this. The other thing that you get is ditches. Uh, these allow you to kind of speed up how you um, build out your fields by dehydrating them faster. The whole point is you're trying to get the water out up above the dike lines. Uh, so if you get the ditches in the right places, you get kind of bonuses from that as well. And then the T tokens, those let you take bonus actions and to improve your actions. So you have all these different actions that are based on tool levels. You play a T alongside it, you get to go up a level on the on the tool. So it's kind of a cool way to speed that up. It's hard to get the T unless you really build towards it, but it does add some more strategy and thought to that. So you're not just taking this one of the same 15 actions over and over again. You can now kind of amp up actions. So you're like, okay, in three turns, I'm going to make that action more powerful and hopefully he doesn't take it. You gotta ba balance that out a little bit more. So I would say T and Trade is one of those expansions that is well worth picking up. You know, it is relatively pricey. There's a good amount of content here. I think it's $33, $34. But it adds a third player, which I think is really important because you have a very good game that nobody played with very often because two only is rough for a big heavy Euro. It adds some cool new mechanics with the T, which I think are very useful, and the ships. The dikes are fun, and there's no reason not to put them in there. But, you know, it's... It, it's just one more cool thing to add. And none of this really adds to game time. The third player does, but you know, these don't add too much. So that's Fields of Arl, Tea and Trade. If you have Fields of Arl, uh, this is a buy. If you're considering picking up Fields of Arl, um, play it first to make sure you like it because it's a big heavy game. And I think it's 70 or $80 plus the 33 of this on top. So that adds up, but it's very good. So it's, it's definitely well, well worth checking out. The other one I wanted to talk about, and the reason I'm talking about both of these is because they both came out within a couple weeks of each other from Z-Man Games, is the Voyages of Marco Polo, Agents of Venice. So again, Marco Polo, we've talked about dozens of times, don't have to go through it again. Uh, but this game, this expansion is another big one with a lot of stuff in it. So first off, it adds components for a fifth player. Second, it adds new character cards. 
a couple of which have some really cool stuff. One has its own private deck of cards. Another one has these little dice tokens that you can use that allow you to, on any given round, you have a two, three, four, five, or six that you can use. The companion module puts these new companion options out. Um, every round they'll be available to, to purchase with a die. And basically these give you bonus actions or upgrades or free stuff that you can do um, if you take another action, but you only get it for that round that you took the companion. So you're trading in a die for like an upgrade and it really makes sense to kind of build up and use those upgrades when they're gonna be more powerful. Um, very, very cool, adds a lot of strategic depth and opens up in certain ways where before you're like, all right, well, I can't do this thing now that I need to do because of my crappy dice and someone else did it. The companions let you kind of work around that a little bit. The last thing that the game does, uh, this expansion, is it adds the Venice board. Uh, it's a whole nother board that you add to the side of your regular board. And the whole idea is that Marco Polo finally came back and he's back in Venice and he's going around the city, trading his goods, talking to people, building influence. You can go on this board, place different buildings at these different stops. They're fairly easy to get to. There's not like any huge costs until you get to the end of the map. You do get more trading posts to start the game if you put this board in play because it's relatively easy to get your posts out here. But you also get some other action options, some other income options. Um, it adds a lot of cool stuff to, to the map and really kind of opens it up a little bit where sometimes it got really tight. Overall, I really liked this one as well. It The problem I had with it is I've played this game a lot and the people I played it with had also played Marco Polo enough that they were fine playing an expansion with it. But because I knew the game as well as I do, I've played it a lot, I know all the characters, I know all the different strategies and patterns I'm trying to follow. I knew exactly which companions I wanted to get and how, how to build up for them and what I wanted to do with them, even having not played the expansion very much. So it was fairly easy to kind of go in there and do what I want to do, ramp up my actions, get extra stuff out there, really take advantage of the new stuff in a way that other people weren't quite able to do yet because they hadn't used it as much. Uh, so it's not imbalanced at all. It's just if you've got somebody who knows the game well, you know, maybe pick one or two modules, not all three. But anytime you add new characters to this game, it's a plus, you get more variety. I really, really like the companions and would put those in there every time because it, it definitely helps kind of resolve things when it gets a little too tight. And then the extra board is really fun. Just make sure people understand kind of how it balances out with the other board and what you're supposed to be doing. So this one's a buy as well. It is uh, similar to Tea and Trade, and this goes for any expansion really. Make sure you've played the base game enough that you need more stuff for it. Fifth player, take it or leave it. I don't, I'm perfectly fine with this game at four. I don't think it needed a fifth. It makes the game longer like they always do. So keep that in mind. I, I don't know if that part's necessary, but the module is really cool. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, two really great expansions. And I recently got Marco Polo to the table with the expansion. And I was surprised how that little Venice board really did open up the scoring opportunities and really let some of the player characters that, well, the player characters break the game, but some of them more than others. So I did find myself lapping people in the game, which I kind of felt bad about, but I kind of enjoyed myself because sometimes... When you're playing Marco Polo, it's actually really expensive to travel. So having that Venice board really opened up more spots to place down your trading posts and to be able to take additional actions. So it did liven up the game a lot. Everyone at the table did enjoy it. 
I will say that even though the expansion does adjust some of the characters, I still think that it really still does come down to the player characters that you get and maximizing them to their you know best abilities. Because if you don't do that, you're not winning that game. Although the companion pieces in this game really does allow some mitigation. So I would say if you're going to play the expansion, play with both parts, not just one. Yeah, that's definitely for true. I mean, and the thing of Marco Polo is, like you said, you have to play the character's strength. If you get one that looks, you look at it and you're like, that doesn't look fun, then pick a different one because you're not going to have a good time. Um, sure. Th they're all balanced. I've won the game with all the characters, but some are easier and some are harder and some are more fun and some are not fun at all. You know, oh, build up a bunch of money and then move a whole bunch and then do that again. Woo, you know. <laughs> so definitely make sure that you're you're doing one that you enjoy. But as long as you're doing that, like Chris said, you know, uh, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, especially with the mini expansion that came in between the base game and the major expansion allows you to have enough different special player powers that you can have a larger choice than previously. So check those both out. Uh, definitely both add to the game and both already have great base games to begin with. So talking about great games and especially components and breaking down and setting up and expectations that may or may not have been completely met, I want to talk about Stonemaier's brand new game, Charterstone. Now, I'm not going to give spoilers in this review, so don't feel the need to jump ahead. But I want to tell you some some very, very basic elements that will not spoil the game for you, but some things that you should know about the game going into it. So Charterstone is a legacy game that you play 12 times and it's competitive. So it's not like Pandemic where it's a cooperative game. This is a completely competitive worker placement Euro game. So in Charterstone, the king has tasked you with building up your own little area, basically your own little Charterstone. And you're gonna do that by placing stickers on the board, which open up new and interesting worker placement spots in which you'll be able to get resources to build additional buildings and to open up these charter stones, to open up these special crates that will give you additional cards that could be things like personas and friends and helpers and a whole bunch of different things in addition to eventually other char stones that will open up additionally other things and then other things and other things and eventually the game eventually comes to an end. But basically the game comes down to victory points. So what you're gonna be doing is collecting resources in order to be able to score victory points. Now there's a lot of ways to score victory points in this game, but some of the basic things you should know, building buildings score victory points. You'll learn that in whoever's teaching the game. And I had a really great teacher in my friend Isaac who went through the entire game with us and listened to endless numbers of inane questions over and over again because the challenge with this game tends to be that since you are playing it 12 times, you can't do it in all one sitting. So rules change from, from game to game on top of there just being a lot of rules to begin with. So you're gonna have a lot of questions as far as does this affect this or does this affect that? And now there's a new building out there. How does that play with the new rule? So there's a little bit of challenge in each and every game because once again, it's a competitive game and you're trying to win. So it kind of, makes the dynamic a little more challenging as far as trying to guide yourself through the game. So as I said, you're building buildings, that's gonna score you victory points. You're trying to 
claim objectives and the objectives are different every time, that's going to score you victory points during the game. And there's a couple of other spots that will score you victory points, including buildings later on in the game. Now, that's the game itself. Now, the long game, as far as winning Charter Stone, which happens over 12 games, is more complex because you are going to get this small box that's going to contain your resources and your money that you, and your personas, which are these player powers that you're going to carry over from game to game and be able to pick which ones you're going to utilize on that game. But the box themselves are not just a holder, but they're also a scorekeeper. So if you win the game, you're going to check that off. If you lose the game, you're going to get a, I guess, some of a benefit on some level. And depending on where you come up on the victory point check, you are going to get some stars that are going to all count towards victory points. So when you start the game, you're not really sure what's going to benefit you. And I don't want to spoil anything for anyone here. But by the end of the game, everything's going to benefit you. Wins are going to benefit you. Everything on the box that you color in for collecting, whether it's capacity or glory, all those other things are going to get you victory points. So anytime your pen goes down on something, you're going to score victory points on some way. Building Buildings has a victory point marker on them that are going to score you something at the end of the game. There's a lot of ways to score points, and this game seems like a sandbox game. It seems like a point salad Stefan Feld game where no matter where you go, you'll score points. And no matter what you do, it'll benefit you later on. But honestly, this game is on rails. It's one of those kind of rail games that you play as far as a video game is concerned where you need to do certain actions so that certain actions later on benefit you and certain things become available to you so that you can score the most points possible. Now, this is not explained to you directly in any defining way so that you know exactly what the long-term goals are. This is a challenge as far as the game is concerned. So it looks like a sandbox. It's not a sandbox. It was challenging to play and not really in a fun way. It was kind of a mediocre Euro game that was kind of bland in some parts. And the major elements of it didn't really radically change. So it didn't offer the legacy drama that you think you would find, like now the board is this, or now you have to do something completely different. It was pretty much the same throughout, but there were definitely things that benefited you more than other things as the game went on. And that took a lot away from me. And I was really looking forward to this game. I was, my expectations were off the chart. So maybe since they weren't met, I wasn't, you know, totally enamored by this game. But if I picked this game up or if I was, you know, at a game night and someone said, hey, do you want to play this Charterstone game? I would dodge it, to be honest with you, just because it's just too generic as far as a Euro game is concerned to gain my attention. And as far as a campaign game is concerned, there's not enough direction and not enough dramatic changes in the game to be honest, keep my attention from game to game, especially 12 games. A game's got to be good. A game's got to be dramatic. A game's got to be dynamic. And a game's got to offer something more each and every time or something different each and every time so that I want to come back. Because 12 games is a lot of investment. And for Charleston as a campaign, it's also a dodge for me as well. Yeah, yeah, I kind of end up in the same boat. I was decently disappointed in retrospect you know i look back and i think you know risk legacy i guess worked but how many other games have made competitive legacy actually work and it's just the problem is that 
you can do all these amazing things, but making sure people get the things they need to keep it kind of on par and that everybody's also having a good time and the things that are in front of them make sense and are fun game to game is understandably difficult. But also, if you mess up a rule or just kind of get off base a little bit, in a co-op, you shrug it off, you all move on, because whatever, you're all playing towards the same goal. In a competitive game, you're like, well, we either fix it or we don't, but either way, someone got screwed, right? So, I don't know. I kind of had a similar experience where I'm like, wow, academically, this is a brilliant production. Like, the things that it does and how it draws all these things in, all these different cards and all the cool stuff you're finding, but... As a game experience, meh, you know, it's just, yeah, it's all right. You know, but uh, yeah, I was in a similar boat where I played through it by myself for the solo side, but then also started with a group. We got maybe a quarter to half the way through and we just kind of let it die and it just, we never went back to it because nobody was really having that good of a time. So I'm with you on the dodge. We are now on to our feature review, which is our final round for our March Gamer Madness Component Edition. So these last, I guess, two episodes previously, we've been talking about the best gaming components out there and how they make games great because, let's be honest, even though it's a lot of setup and even though it's a lot of breakdown, having those components at the table are amazing. So we want to talk about those components in those games and we want to jump to the brackets and wrap this up for the March Gamer's Madness Component Brackets. All right, Anthony, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, so we're going to jump back to our first bracket, which is our paper slash cardboard bracket. This has been a tremendous battle, and a lot of our top seeds have been knocked out, and I think they've been a shocker to everyone here. But we have our two final seeds here. We have our number four seed still holding on, the Castles of Burgundy, the card game, versus the number 10 seed, San Juan... Second edition. So, Anthony, what do you think about this final matchup here? It's difficult. Uh, Both games are card games of other board games. (laughs) They are both games played with a single deck of cards and are relatively straightforward to teach and play. I was actually kind of surprised we got them both here now that that we're looking at it. But, yeah, I mean, they're definitely well-worthy games or two of my top card games overall. I think I am a fan of Castles of Burgundy, the card game, for the way it just... So many different things happening. It manages to represent the entire game, you know, the full board game, and do it in a new and interesting way while still keeping the soul of that game intact and do it with a single deck of cards. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, both games are great. It's hard to pick one. As you said, these are re-implementations in some way. I mean, each of those games are their own game, but they implement a lot of elements from the other board games, which are brilliant classic board games. Really hard to pick one. Don't want to pick a winner here. But I'll tell you, while I love playing San Juan, and I do have it in my collection, and it was a Grail game, this silly, tiny little deck of cards just blew me away the first, second, third, fourth, and every time I play it, man, it's just a surprising game. The cards do so many different things. They represent so many different things. And it brings the best elements of Castles of Burgundy, which is a phenomenal game, in a card form and in a tiny little box that really, if you're going to represent a game that is all about cards and paper, it's going to be tiny, it's going to be small, it's going to be powerful, it's going to knock you off the feet, 
Castles of Burgundy wins our paper and card bracket. Our number four seed moves on to the final four. All right, next up is our cardboard bracket. This is another Hartford battle of everything named cardboard here. And once again, our top seeds were knocked out, surprising everybody. And we're now down to our last two picks, A Feast for Odin, our number eight seed versus our number 10 seed, Photosynthesis. Anthony, help us out here. What's going on with this matchup? All right. I could keep being a homer for A Feast for Odin. I could do that. But I'm not going to. I'm going to to bow out on that just because photosynthesis is such a fun, cool, clever little use of cardboard. Everything here is cardboard with the exception of, you know, a gla one little plastic disc. And it is very pretty to look at. And the way it uses space, the way it, you know, uses the idea of light, even if the light isn't necessarily directly involved. It's just a really, really great looking game and um, very well presented. So photosynthesis for me. Yeah, when I played this, it, it kind of blew me away. When I saw this for the first time, going way, way back, we couldn't even get close enough to the booth to actually buy a copy of this, if you remember back, Anthony. And it's, you know, outstanding 3D cardboard components for the, the trees. And it's not just one of those kind of simple abstract games where you just drop the trees and, like, you just arrange them. And depending on where you place them, everything happens, but you actually have to grow the trees, which is tremendously thematic, not to mention blocking the light, which they actually do because they are three-dimensional and they are tall. And photosynthesis is our winner of our cardboard bracket, the number 10 seed, my friend, moving on to the final four. Okay, now we're on to a more and more challenging bracket. Here we're all talking about wood components. And just like every other bracket so far, our early seats have been knocked out, surprisingly enough. Here we are, down to our final two here. Our number five seed, Oracle of Delphi, versus our number 11 seed, Roll Through the Ages. Anthony, roll us away. Uh, Let me take it away. <laughs> well, they both got dice. That'll do it. Um, this one's tough. I mean, I really, really like Roll Through the Ages because it it's almost iconic for its wood components. Oracle of Delphi has some really great components as part of its game, but I don't necessarily just think of the wooden components when I'm looking at Oracle of Delphi, um, even though that's most of the pieces. So I don't know. I'm a little torn on this one. I think I'm going to stick with Roll Through the Ages just because, like I said, it's that's what I think of. That's what I see. It's, it is what it is because of those wood components. I feel like it could have just as easily not had that and wouldn't be nearly as memorable. Yeah, both these games are fantastic. Fell did a great race game here. Wooden dice, wooden pieces all over the place as far as racing and picking up different things and all the different tokens. Very, very colorful game as far as that's concerned. Roll Through the Ages, you know, it's a, it's a wooden block in which you calculate with the resources that are available to you. And, oh, man, an another great set of wood dice. I guess when it comes down to it, you know, you can do a lot of things to manipulate the dice in Oracle of Delphi based upon wooden little chits here and there. But roll through the ages, you are kind of dead stuck to your wooden dice. So roll through the ages moves on to the final round. Number 11 seed, man, moving on. Yeah, these seeds, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our final bracket's all about the plastic here. We have a number one seed, Star Wars X-Wings Miniatures game, versus our number two seed, Rising Sun. On to the final round, Anthony. 
which is going to take it away here. Yeah, this is the only bracket that didn't get busted. I feel like I'm looking at my actual bracket from March Madness this year. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, it's been a rough year. Yeah, this is a really, really tough one because the, the plastic in Rising Sun is just a whole nother level. You know, Cool Mini's known for what they're known for, but this was just like, what? How did they get to this level of stuff? But then you look at Star Wars X-Wing and those miniatures man they're still the best quality miniatures you can get in a hobby board game and because you don't have to paint them the paint job looks good <laughs> with kids and the the game itself is fantastic so ah, this is a really really tough one for me they're, they're kind of on par and because they're kind of on par uh, i have to lean towards star wars and i'm gonna go with x-wing yeah, it's really challenging here. Rising Sun really did raise the bar. You know, the difference for me here is they're both really crafted extremely well. X-Wing Miniatures obviously has a high-quality paint job in, I guess, comparison to in comparison to Star, Star Trek Attack Wing, which had a very poor paint job. So, you know, when you get to carry the paint, that means something. What meant most for me is... Really, when it comes down to it, what's the game all about? And while Rising Sun's miniatures do some great things on the board, X-Wing miniatures doesn't even have a board. It really is all about the miniatures, the stands, the little plastic holders, the plastic dice. And that's really what this game comes down to. So for me also, Star Wars X-Wing miniatures moves on to the final round. Anthony, we have our final four. I never thought we'd get here. I think we broke a lot of hearts, but I think we picked the best games possible based upon the components. All right, so this brings us up to the final four. So first up, now we're crossing up brackets here. We have our paper bracket facing down our cardboard bracket. So we have our number four seed in our paper bracket, Castles of Burgundy, the card game, facing down our number 10 seed, Photosynthesis. Anthony, save the day here. Which one is it going to be? Oof. Uh, yeah, photosynthesis, man. Those those 3D trees do it for me. Fact alone that the shade from a component would actually play a part in the game is so substantial that I cannot ignore it. Photosynthesis, the number 10 seed from the cardboard bracket, moves on to the final two, and our number four seed, Castle of the Burgundy card game, is eliminated. Ooh, happy little trees. <laughs> Bob Ross would be really, really proud of us. <laughs> All right, now on to our wood versus our plastic brackets. We have our number 11 seed, Roll Through the Ages, versus our number one seed from the plastic bracket, Star Wars, X-Wing Miniatures. Anthony, what are we doing here? A long time ago or way, way back in history? <laughs> Those are the same thing, man. Which which win? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I loved Roll Through the Ages, and I, I pushed through it you know, all the way through to get it up there and win the, the wood bracket. But now that it's up against Star Wars X-Wing, it's no contest for me. Uh, it's Star Wars X-Wing miniatures game has to win. Roll Through the Ages is phenomenal nonetheless because, once again, it's just a block of wood <laughs> and a bunch of wooden dice. Whereas X-Wing miniatures is, a you know, a chunk of plastic and a, you know, plastic dice. So both are great. You know what? My tiebreaker here is is going to be the paint job, and X-Wing Miniatures got the paint job where Roll Through the Ages did not choose to 
partake in any paint. <laughs> so that is Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures, our number one seed from our plastic bracket. Moving on to the final two. Yes, my friends, we have a final two. After three weeks, we are down to the final two games. Star Wars X-Wings Miniatures, our number one seed from our plastic bracket, facing down our cardboard bracket, number 10 seed winner, Photosynthesis. Here we are, the final two. This is all about the components here. Anthony, say something profound for the audience. Profound. Um, well, we have plastic and we have cardboard. We have spaceships and we have trees. Hmm, I don't think it could be any different. And that makes this fairly difficult for me. Uh, being legitimately honest here, like, you know, you put Roll Through the Ages up against Star Wars X-Wing for me, and I'm like, wow, Star Wars all day long. But if you're looking at the components and their impact on the game and the interaction of those two things on the board, ugh, photosynthesis does a really good job. Ah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think the tiebreaker here for me is going to be the fact that, I think I said this back on the first one of these, my X-Wing miniatures are on a shelf being displayed. I still take them down to play. And sometimes what gets played is based on what is what somebody sees in the display that they're interested in. So it's not, the game isn't, the game is actually defined by the components that people like <laughs> that they want to play as. It's it's not, there's cards, there's some chits that go with it, but it's really about the miniatures and, and how they interact with each other. So I'm going to go with Star Wars. As much as I want the upset here, I really do, because you know everybody loves the upset, but I'm going to go with Star Wars. Yeah, this is a really tough battle. Both great components. The components themselves, the plastic and the cardboard, are what the game is all about. There's not much to the rest of either game. You know, little pieces of paper here and there. But nonetheless, it's all about these major components. It's really what draws everyone to the table. And it's not just a gimmick. These components do play the vast, vast majority of the gameplay. And they are so dynamic. They do so many different things. The positioning of both of these components are really what the game comes down to. If you don't put them in the right spot, you will lose this game. So that's amazing. Man, this is a really difficult choice. Nonetheless, it has you know changed my mind. The sun has come out. Photosynthesis is my choice. So, Anthony, we're on to the final choice here. It comes down to a tiebreaker. What does our fair audience and their genius intellect have to say about this? Well, so this is actually kind of surprising for me. Um, I expected, you know, it's our number one seed, it's Star Wars, it's plastic. But because of how strong that bracket was and how many people had all these different games going through from Imperial Assault to Blood Rage to Rising Sun to Mechs versus Minions, Photosynthesis got significantly more votes i think <laughs> most people picked it to be to win the cardboard bracket and it just got further in general so yeah photosynthesis is the winner according to the to the listeners wow all right well this has been an incredible incredible march gamer madness component edition we hope that everyone's enjoyed this hopefully you got a chance to get your bracket in hopefully you did really well Anthony will follow up with details as far as which one of you will be the winner. And for us, it is our number 10 seed from the cardboard bracket, 
breaking all expectations, photosynthesis is our winner. All right, that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table.